Blog Talk Radio. United issue of Sports Conversation on the Fight Network. I'm Don Henderson. Looking forward to another great night of t- sports conversation here on the Fight Network. Frank Carroll is our executive producer. Of course, Roy Cummings normally joins us from Tampa, Florida, but we've got 
a more than adequate replacement tonight, Steve Casella. We're going to talk baseball, baseball, baseball. Steve is going to step in for Roy Cummings tonight. And, of course, Roger Henner is always in Atlanta, Georgia. And the Red Hot Braves, they have won nine of their last 11 ball games. They're a game and a half behind the Mets, who have the night off. The Yankees also have the night off after taking three of, uh, or two of three of the, uh, or two of two, I should say, two of two from the New York Mets. And so we're ready for the baseball season to really pick up in the home stretch. But before we do that, our executive producer, Frank Carroll, has a dedication, and we'll get right to the telephone calls and right to your sports conversation. Frank? Actually, Don, we've got two uh, announcements to make tonight. One is that on uh, last Saturday, we crossed that, that uh, threshold. We began our 18th year of service uh, on the air here. Uh, and with all the grateful appreciation of everybody that contributes here, uh, tonight is our 531st show. Um, so we, uh, I, want to, I want to thank everybody that contributes. The other one is this is a not as good. It's a, a good friend, Sergeant Dave Brewer, of Sarasota County Sheriff's Department, uh, Detective Sergeant, uh, retired uh, 2019 uh, to to uh, uh, Tennessee. Uh, we got word this week that uh, Dave had uh, passed away. So it was like Mary and his son Michael. Um, we uh, send our deepest regrets and, and deepest sympathies. Uh, Dave was a terrific person. Uh, I don't think he ever met somebody he didn't like. Uh, but if you knew, if Dave arrived on the scene, somebody was going to go to jail. Uh, he did his job. He was a tremendous uh, asset to the department, and um, he'll be a tremendous uh, asset to the uh, um, security department at, uh, in heaven right now, I'm sure, right now. All right, Frank, thank you very much, and certainly our best wishes go out to the entire family, as you indicated. And once again, I repeat, normally, uh, you know, Roy's, uh, Roy Cummings is on at the top of the show. He needed a well-deserved night off, big baseball night. Who else could we talk to but to bring in an A-plus reporter, Steve Casella. And, Steve, as I said, uh, Braves are having a red-hot run. They've, they've won nine of their last 11. They are now only a game and a half behind the Mets, and a uh, Comment or two about the Braves before we go in another direction. Exciting team. You know, they uh, Michael Harris and uh, and Grissom Jr. really helped spark the offense, you know, with a few guys going down and struggling. You know, Acuna hasn't been able to catch fire. And, uh, you know, that team, uh, they, they're like the, you know, they're like the strength of the sum of all their parts. You know, Spencer Strider in that rotation you know, I, I see Mike Soroka is down in the minors getting ready to come back, you know, finally after a couple of years of battling Achilles injuries and stuff. So uh, that team is pretty primed right now, and it should be a great, great run down the stretch between them and the Mets. Steve, you mentioned Harris, and what a surprise he's been. They also gave a great extension. Uh, I'll tell you, the Braves have really been great about signing players and extending contracts and being ready for the future. And but I think that was a great one. I'll tell you, he's one of the most impressive young players I've seen this year. Yeah, he's he's a you know a third round pick, you know, and uh, uh, he developed nicely, and you know he he did all the steps, he, he, you know he he did everything he was supposed to do. They got him up here, and his mature obviously his maturity and his skills combined 
are the reason you give guys like that extensions. And, uh, you know, the, the Braves are, you know, they're a, uh, you know, Cleveland is a team I always tell people has a culture of extension that they set up about in the late 80s, early 90s. And as an organization, if you can build a culture of extensions, that goes for your top players like Acuna Jr. and Ozzie Albies, but it, it goes all the way to Michael Harris. And, hell, it goes all the way down to relievers that you just extend through arbitration. You, you, you develop that culture. And the Braves have been able to do it. So when you're a player for the Braves and they come to you and your agent and they say, hey, we're interested, generally there's a, there's a good dialogue in the locker room. The players say, yes, this is where you want to be. There's a culture of, of signing your name to the contract and building with everybody around you, and there's a trust factor. And the Braves have really capitalized on that. Well, Roger, well, you were there in Atlanta. You were there for the championship run last year. You saw a little bit of surprise in the World Series and the playoffs. Nobody really expected Atlanta, even though they came on like gangbusters, to win the whole shebang. And you're right there. Your comment. Well, a couple of things. Uh, you know, Steve, the, it's a lot of it is player development uh, to get the players to where they are, where they really, uh, I think, are – very similar uh, to the Cardinals right now where the Cardinals have uh, so many uh, young players that are on their roster and playing. And, uh, you know, I look at uh, Riley and, and uh, of course, the, all the speculation about what happened with Freddie Freeman uh, that he did supposedly did not know about the Braves' last offer. And he would rather have stayed in, in Atlanta. And, uh, you know, so who knows? I mean, uh, I know he got rid of his agent, uh, Casey Close. But um, I did want to uh, – I really think the Braves uh, are uh, – I think they're going to take the Mets. I really do. Uh, I think that they've been very consistent after they got off to the slow start. And uh, I'd like your opinion. Do you think the Braves can overtake the Mets? I think it's a coin toss, and that's a lot. That's saying a lot. I mean, the Mets are a very good team, and they mm-hmm. would have to stumble a little bit, and the Braves are going to have to just, and the Braves are going to have to continue to play at a somewhat higher level, of course, because they're chasing them down. Uh, you're looking at two rosters that are very, very well stacked. Uh, the Mets, you know, where they are is great, but you know, they they haven't had Degrom and Scherzer rolling for five, you know, every five days together for a long period of time. So let's just see how it goes. But you know, if you would have asked me six weeks ago, right. uh, do you think the Braves are going to chase down the Mets? I would have probably you know given you my my negative. I don't think so. The Mets are really stacked. The Braves have a, a few holes in their lineup. They have a few, you know, they would need something very good to happen to them. So now I'm telling you it's a 50-50 coin, coin flip. And, you know, if we talk again in two, three weeks, you know, we'll have a lot more definition on on all that. It is kind of weird if I can just uh, say, you know, trying to get a feel for the postseason, my body clock, maybe you guys can comment on this, my body clock right now is getting ready to the, my normal, getting ready for September, but I keep mm-hmm. forgetting that the season goes a week into October. So I'm mm-hmm. lagging behind about a week on my finality statements that I like to make on teams or anything like that. Trying to get a pulse on everything, I have to remember we have an extra week in October, and September 1 isn't the normal September 1. 
Well, and you know, don't forget, also, too, that uh, you're going to have an opportunity to see the World Series in October, I mean, in November. So November, well, they, uh, November 5th, I think, is the, uh, the last date if it goes seven games. But, Steve, let's go back to that uh, free bid uh, that Roger just talked about that uh, moved on to the Dodgers, having a great year with the Dodgers. But the move that the Braves made and bring it for, what do you get, two more home runs today, I think. And uh, mm-hmm. holy smokes, I mean, what a great move they made making that trade for him. Yeah, you know, <laughs> organizations kind of get it. Some do and some don't. And I'll, I'll you know, give you two, like three organizations so we can do kind of a little timeline. I've mentioned to you before, the Cardinals were very smart not to, not to sign long-term Albert Pujols um, and let him go. Very, you know, they had just won the World Series just like the Braves had done. He had almost an identical year statistically as Freddie Freeman has, and they're about the same age. The Cardinals said, you know, you're our Sam usual, but we can't commit 10 years to you. Yes, the variables are a little bit different in the Freddie Freeman negotiations, you know, with Casey Cook close, which he's suing the reporter that came out with that um, story saying that it's false. But we'll just say that there was something there that ended up getting Casey close fired. But, that's a second example where the Braves apparently what's to say the Braves made their offer. The Freddie Freeman camp didn't respond for whatever reason. We'll just leave that open-ended. So they went and moved, you know, they, they went and moved on and went and got Matt Olson. Another example would be Cleveland. They made a last ditch effort to sign Francisco Lindor. He turned it down. They immediately traded him to the Mets. Same situation was playing out this spring with Jose Ramirez. Here's an extension. This is what you're worth. He, he and the uh, Guardians got to a contract, they agreed to it, and they signed the extension. So you can see how teams operate. Some teams get it. You can try your hardest to sign someone, but you don't want to go and say, let's throw 10-year contract out because we can't short-term lose this player because he's so endearing to the community or so integral to the team in a season. And the Braves quickly moved on to Matt Olson and gave him the extension. He'll, he'll finish that extension a couple of years younger than Freeman will be when he finishes his extension. And the Braves got a great player. I mean, an absolutely outstanding player. So, again, the Braves get it. Um, you, you just got to tip your hat to the Braves for how they run that organization. And Roger. very similar in uh, personality and uh, makeup uh, to Freddie Freeman. Okay? It wasn't that you're bringing in a, uh, a different uh, type of individual. Uh, what did you think, uh, uh, Steve, about the uh, Major League Baseball schedule that was announced today for 2023, uh, where every team will play every team, and there's much more interleague play than in the past? Well, now that the DH is universal, I, I can't get too upset about interleague play where you have, like, in the past where pitchers had to take batting practice ahead of time and rosters were designed for American League play versus National League play both ways. And, uh, you know, it's good that there's a universal DH, so you could just do team on team. Um, Personally, I I kind of am worn out from interleague play. I kind of want to go back to the – this is me being an old guy. I would love to just go back to American League playing American League. I would too. Yep. playing National League. The All-Star mm-hmm. game, I think, would be a little bit more entertaining for fans to see players that they don't normally get to see, and the World Series would be 
a little bit more special when you're playing a team that you haven't seen. There's not a rematch, you know, from midseason or anything like that. But in, until the until the league expands and can go to eight divisions, you know, expands by two teams, and you can go to an NFL style four division, four division, and then maybe go all one, you know, American League versus all American League and National League versus all National League. This is a step in the right direction for now. Steve, the other point there is that uh, when you look at the distribution of talent, I mean, it really is unfair for some of the teams because they're going to win so many games because their their division is so weak. I mean, the teams that are going to get a lot of games with Cincinnati, a lot of games with Pittsburgh, a lot of games. You know, there's just too many. Washington, I mean, Washington, Larry Bow was all with us last week, and he said, you know, realistically, Washington right now is a double-A team. It's not even a triple-A team. Well, if you've got 19 games with Washington, you've got a heck of an advantage over the long haul. So I, I think the only way they could balance it out. Yeah, there's, but that happens almost every year. And at some point, where do you go back to the 70s when Toronto Blue Jays and Cleveland were in the American League East and Boston, New York, and Baltimore were beating up on them in Milwaukee? Um, or you can go up to, you know, just a few years ago, Cincinnati uh, or Pittsburgh, Milwaukee, and St. Louis all won 90-plus games in the uh, NL Central. Uh, you don't have to go too far back in history to find that. Uh, you could find where, De- you know, Cleveland, I think, one year went 18-1 and one against Detroit, and last year, Baltimore, uh, the Rays beat Baltimore 18 of 19. You know, you have the 17-2. and two. So you could basically find that division and that imbalance you know, throughout history of baseball, and it, it, it seldom is it always just one division that has that uh, that dynamic. But yeah, again, but at least when you're playing the same number of games against the weaker teams, uh, the yeah, one part again, of the uh, one part of the equation gets uh, 19 games against a, a weak team like Washington, and another another right. team only gets five. I mean, you know, it's right, a big difference. Right. But at the same time. Uh, uh, your thoughts about uh, we, as we looked ahead uh, to the remainder of this year uh, before I get back to Roger. They keep talking about the easy, how the schedule now has wound down going into the month of September. How do you see the Mets schedule as opposed to the Braves schedule in terms of depth of difficulty? Well, I haven't really looked at the two schedules so much as I have the two rosters. And the the only thing I could say is, other than the Dodgers um, right now, uh, one and the Cardinals maybe, when the Mets and and Braves are playing, I expect them to win. You know, I mean, I expect, if, if, you know, if I was blindly gambling in Vegas, you know, come September 1, I would probably go in and say, okay, if I had to bet, I would take money on the Mets almost, you know, every night, the Braves almost every night and go from there. So I'd have to really look at uh, difficulty of schedule. And then we get into all the, you know, who's injured when you get there and, who, you know, what are, what are the pitching matches, who do you catch and who do you miss. So strength of schedule is one thing, but there's so many, there's so much noise in strength of schedule, you know, that, that make it very hard to use that, you know, as a, uh, as a barometer. Even though down here in Tampa Bay I look at the Rays, and I, that's a schedule that I do know, and it, it's very, very difficult. I mean, there's a lot of Toronto. There's seven games with uh, Houston. There's a, there, I think there's six or seven more with New York. You know, they've got Boston like six or seven times. they got a very difficult schedule. they got Cleveland for three, 
you know, coming up. So they have a very difficult schedule from the end of you know from the end of uh, August all the way through to the end of the season. But then again, you don't know you know if how Houston's going to be looking at a series at the end of the year. I don't know how Boston's going to look. You know, right now uh, they've got uh, Eovaldi on the IL. You know, I don't know what that's going to look like. So a strength of schedule for me isn't something I really put too much time into. You know, another point that uh, just surfaced, uh, I guess, within the last uh, day or so, Steve, is the uh, looks like the Angels will be sold. And, uh, you know, what's your your thinking about that? Do you think that the new ownership would turn that team around? Because uh, Joe Madden uh, was very critical of uh, the uh, management. Uh, of course, you know, he was uh, let go earlier in the season. Uh, but, uh, you know, they've spent a lot of money on top-notch players. And uh, Trout's still there. Uh, they, you know, they, uh, what is it, Cezanne? Um, oh, Tani? Uh, yeah, he's there. But, uh, you know, what do you think? Uh, they they still draw what they draw over 3 million people, even though uh, they're on down times uh, as far as one and wins and losses go. Yeah. Um, the Angels are a typical team that I, that's always annoyed me because they did Part B of something before Part A, and it, you don't try to solve a problem by spending money. You, you, you solve the problem by developing, as we talked about the Braves, you, you develop a talent pipeline, you extend those players, then you bring in the expensive free agents to supplement those players. Go back to what the Astros did when they tore it down and rebuild. That ended up where they are now. They got a World Series. Uh, the Cubs did the same thing. You know, they went and developed the Chris Bryant. They traded for the Anthony Rizzo's. They, they the Contreras. They, they, you know, they, they developed a good amount of players, and then they went and got like a John Lester and a few other guys. So basically what the Angels would have to do is they have to put more money into the development side and get the young talent, bring the young talent to the system, and then supplement it with players. Right now they've got Anthony Rendon who can't stay healthy. They've got Otani who's you know going to be in the next Juan Soto most likely. I mean, he's probably not going to sign an extension if the team's, you know, whether until the team is sold. You know, he's not going to sit there and sign an extension not knowing who the owner is going to be. That was one of Juan Soto's and uh, uh, Boris's big issues with the Nationals was we don't know who's going to be paying Juan and what direction the organization is going to go. But it's, it's a great opportunity for someone. Uh, and, and, again, uh, before people get, you know, too crazy on me, uh, you, you spending money is great, and you can make a huge difference. I mean, take a look at Steve Cohen in the Mets. You know, he went out there, traded for Lindor. They extended him. They went out and got Scherzer. You know, they they went out and spent the money on uh, Marcana and Starling Marte and, and a whole mess of people. I think their payroll is like $280 million or something, you know. But they've got sprinkled in there. They've got the Jacob DeGrom from their system. They've got the Jeff McNeil from their system. And they've got a few other guys that they've brought up. You know, uh, Brandon Nimmo uh, is another one. Pete Alonzo is another one. Uh, You have to touch all avenues. So whoever buys the Angels will have an opportunity to turn that franchise around. But you can't turn a franchise around 
just by paying for players on the free agent market. Well, after we leave the bridge, we've got to say they got a terrible break. You know, losing a player for 80 games the rest of this season and good part of next season as well, one of the top players in the National League. And that, that's a real killer to the organization, uh, which they had no control over, I guess. But my, my question to you is, because I've always been sort of a, a fringe Baltimore Oriole rooter, and uh, uh-huh. they've been on the bottom of the pile for, what, the last four years. They seem to be developing some nice players coming up through the pipeline. I know you follow the minor leagues as much as you do the major leagues. How about the Orioles farm system? Where do they stand? Uh, they've been fantastic. They got a lot of young players. Um, now that you put me on the spot, I'm, I'm I'm totally blanking on. I think his name is Gunnar Henderson. I'm sorry, he's the number one prospect in baseball um, by Baseball America right now. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez got shut down from an injury, but he's on his way. D.L. Hall is a very another very promising pitcher, um, and they've got. Uh, <clears throat> Adley Rushman, who came up this year, and they've got a number of interesting people. You know, that's a great story. You know, I may think a lot of people are rooting for Baltimore. Um, I got a great uh, – uh, uh, the, the Orioles gave me a great flashback. And when you guys want it, I'll give it to you. It's a Jeff Torborg story, um, but it's a great flashback if you want it. Um, but Baltimore, they're, you know, they're, they're doing fantastic. Um, to them, for making the moves that they did, that was very difficult at the break to move Trey Mancini and to move the uh, 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 Lopez out of the bullpen. But those are the right. type of moves that you can't let a little hot streak stop your, ultim- your ultimate goal of building the franchise. Uh, kudos to the owner of Baltimore for after making those trades, or the GM, excuse me, after making those trades, flew out and met the team, I believe, in Oakland and had meetings with the team, the players that remained, you know, to explain what was going on. He didn't have to do that, uh, you know, Elias, to go out to the team and, and, and say, hey, we're building something special here. You know, Trey's, you know, we, we, we did Trey right. We got him to a situation where he, you know, got to Baltimore. He'll be a free agent at, at the end of the season. And that, that was a good move. Um, you know, for for a long time, Baltimore had a uh, they were they were so mismanaged and so poorly run. I don't know if you guys know this, but for about eight years, they put no money in the international market. And the defense from ownership was, "Hey, we were taking that international spending money and putting it onto our roster to try to win a World Series." Well, in that time, you guys, you know, we talk about the Braves. You know, Acuna Acuna was signed in Atlanta. Juan Soto was signed in Washington. You could go through all the Latin players and Dominican players that were signed, and Baltimore decided that that money was not well spent. That's how poorly they were run. And that's why it's kind of nice to see him now really turn in the corner, not only in the uh, uh, player development side, but they are going to put some money on the roster now. I think they're going to do it the right way, and they're going to build it up like Toronto did, and now they'll go ahead and put some money into the roster, which is, thank God, the way you're supposed to do it so you could have some long-term success. Roger? Roger? Yeah. Well, I Roger, think Roger, Roger must, We must have lost Roger for a minute or two, but uh, so we'll, we'll just keep on moving with that because uh, just give me a thumbnail sketch of what you think happened to the Yankees over the last 30 games. That, Frank. Uh, Frank. Frank? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Hello. I I, I don't know what we're doing oh, here yeah. now. Uh, that's okay. 
the Yankees. Man, you know, I, I talk to a, a, an old friend of mine every day about baseball, and I would say to him, I don't want to ever think that I'm, I'm criticizing the Yankees or saying that they're not a good team. I said, but this pumpkin has to pop. You know, it's got to this, – this, this, this cannot continue. You know, you have to go – you know, this midnight has to strike on the team at some point. They were playing so well in every facet of the game. They had like a 700 winning percentage, you know, for a long period of time. I did not expect them to take as big of a drop as they did. I think they went 12 and almost 12 and 28 or so, somewhere around there. Very, very, that's very close. Yeah, I'm not sure of the exact numbers. I did not expect that to happen, but I think that it was just, Kind of a letdown, a lot of pressure in New York, and I do think that the loss of Severino hurt. I do think that dealing Jordan Montgomery was a psychological blow to the right. team, even though I can understand why they did it. Um, Montas hasn't settled in. He wouldn't be the first guy to go from a, a big fish in a small pond to playing in New York and having struggles. We all remember Ed Whitson, not that Montas is going to be Ed Whitson, but I'm just using him as, as an old-time excuse. For example, you know, uh, Stanton yep. went on the IL again. Uh, Donaldson went into the, in, you know, Donaldson was slumping. They, uh, Kiner Kalefa had a few little hiccups at shortstop. So a lot of stuff all at the same time. A couple injuries in the bullpen. Clayton Holmes went down. So the formula the Yankees were winning was getting a quality start. They're still getting great starting pitching outside of Montas, by the way. I mean, it's, they're still getting fantastic starting pitching. Right. But then the bridge between, uh, you know, the starters and getting to Clayton Holmes was disrupted when the injuries hit to Holmes. Uh, you know, they tried to get Scott Efcross from the uh, Cubs, and now he's out. Uh, Clayton Holmes is coming back. But I, I think that they're going to be fine. I have been – tracking them compared to the 1978 race. And it's been a lot of fun. Uh, at, in 1978, after the same amount of games, the Yankees were seven and a half behind Boston. Uh, Boston played pretty well down the stretch. I think from about now, they were around 500 or a couple games above 500, but the Yankees went back and went like 31 and nine or something uh, down the stretch to uh, the force that game 163. So just in the back, I've been kind of monitoring because how many times in a lifetime? I know the Rays did the September and the Braves did the September of 2012, I believe it was. But that Yank, that 1978 Yankee or a Red Sox Yankee uh, from midseason on, I'm just using it now to see if there's any interest and see how it goes. So I'll, I'll, I keep tracking it. It's, it's a lot of fun. Well, Steve, one question that uh, you touched on a little bit that uh, we talked about. It. You know, the great St. Louis, St. Louis Cardinals star that went from St. Louis to L.A. and now he's back to, to St. Louis. Have, by the way, he's having a great getaway year, uh, surprisingly. Yeah, yeah. I never thought he'd play as well as he's played. He played very well. But, you know, now you go back to Judge. Judge is 29 years old, going to be 30. Mm-hmm. And they're talking, you know, in, in the five numbers now for, you know, eight years or nine years. You know, what does Cashman do there? about this the last time and I, I my my thing is you come up with your best offer for Aaron Judge um, that fits your organization long term not short term not for the next okay. two or three years you know and with the Steve under- I got to interrupt right there uh, because we're we're moving in we have Hall of Famer Dick Vermeil on the line right now 
Thank oh, you very much beautiful. for jumping in so quickly. Roy Steve, had to take the you. night off tonight. We'll, look, we'll get back with you next week or the week after and uh, get back to the baseball front. Thank you very much, Steve. Thanks so See you much, later. Steve. Take care. Thanks, Steve. All right. On the line right now, the newest Hall of Fame member, uh, just a, 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 one of the great guys in all of football and all of broadcasting, Dick Vermeer, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for taking a couple of minutes to chat with us about going into oh. – the Hall of Fame last after, week. I owe you after forgetting it last week. I apologize again. <laughs> Not well, a you're problem. getting to be we as old as I am, so you're allowed to forget. Yeah. <laughs> hey, damn near, hey, we, we are antiques. We are antiques. <laughs> we all you are. Know, I, I know I told you this story a couple of times, and I want to get to you, not to me, but Matty Gukas and I did an L.A. Laker game against the 76ers out in Los, Los Angeles, and we're flying in, and we land in Philadelphia, and uh, – get off the plane, I get a telephone call from CAU. They say, run right over to the Veterans Stadium. The Eagles are going to name their new new uh, coach. Well, I said, okay, fine. I'll go over. Well, you and I were sitting on the same plane, two seats away on the plane. I didn't know who the hell you were. <laughs> I said, here we are. Well, now I'm in the vet. Here's Dick Vermeil, two seats in front of me in the plane, and he's going to be named the new coach. I said, what the hell is this? I don't know anybody from UCLA. <laughs> Congratulations! You made a terrific, terrific speech going in, and Roger Henry, I'll let you get in from Atlanta, Georgia, and talk to Dick. Well, I'll tell you, Dick, I got to got to talk to you at the uh, sports writers. Of course, I introduced you at the uh, 25th anniversary of the yeah. 80 team. I had you and your wife at uh, with the Celebrity Limousine in one of my oh, retirement God. jobs. So, yeah. But I also have the picture of uh, you uh, on my uh, old radio show with Ken Kerfel, and that's years ago up in Lawrenceville School at that clinic. Oh, yeah. Yep. That's a school, I remember that, yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, but I, I mentioned to Don and to, um, to Frank uh, before we went on the air tonight, a, a, a real loss today in uh, the Kansas City Chiefs family, the passing oh, yeah. of Len Dawson. No and uh, I know that uh, you got to know me, was broadcasting. And one of the uh, tributes this morning on NFL radio I thought was really interesting. A lot of credit was given to Carl Peterson, who's like one of your best friends, presented you at the Hall of Fame, yeah. and Marty Schottenheimer. We're turning yeah. the uh, the corner a number of years ago with the fortunes of the Chiefs, and it was just really interesting to see uh, the impact that Len had on various quarterbacks uh, over the years. And you probably saw it. And but uh, you know, I just wanted to bring that up because I know you were close to him when you were in Kansas City. You know, here's a guy that played a ton of years, and he played. The, I think he threw 45 passes his first three or four years in the league. And he comes to Kansas City, and in a few years he wins a Super Bowl championship because he now, with a coach that understands him, knows how to use him, coached him in college, you know, and went on. And, my God, he, you know, he had four years where he threw over 20 touchdown passes. You know, in mm-hmm. those days, that's hard to do because you could, first oh. off, he played 14 games, and you didn't throw the ball that much. You know, so mm-hmm. he did a remarkable job. In fact, he had three times he had a 90 quarterback efficiency rate, which was very rare in those years, but uh, just a great guy. What I always appreciated about him, he was humble. He never tried mm-hmm. to tell us what 
what he would have done if, you know, what, why'd you do that in the third quarter? Why didn't you do this in the fourth quarter? He was always very appreciative and respectful of my coaching staff and me and, uh, you know, just a, just a pleasant guy. And, of course, Lamar Hunt, nobody in the league did a better job of showing respect for their former players, you know, that Lamar hit, Hunt did. And, of course, then Lenny is the figurehead of everybody, you know. Mm-hmm. He, he mm-hmm. was the franchise, you know. And then you got well, to talk a little about Warner, too, because uh, I know in your speech you talked about, uh, you know, so many people didn't think the guy had a chance to do anything when you got to St. Louis and you turned the whole program around because you understood him. Well, yeah, yeah and I had, you know, Mike Martz coaching him and John Ramsdale and, uh, you know, the guys coaching him had Jim Hannafin with the offensive line. Bud Carson started as the defensive coordinator. I had a hell of a coaching staff. And I, I needed that kind of staff because I'd been out of it for 14 years. Mm-hmm. And by hiring the old timers, we could catch up, or at least I could catch up, you know. But uh, Kurt Warner, what he did will never be done again. You know, mm-hmm. you, you just his first five games as a starter in the NFL. Now you re, you're listening every morning. I listen to the different radio stations, and I listen to serious NFL, and they're talking about how many years it takes to develop the quarterback in the NFL under the pressure. And here's Kurt Warner goes from the Kurt, he goes from the scout team quarterback of the year for the Eagles in 98 to the most valuable player in the league in 99. So he blows away all those things. You know. Dick, let's go well, back you know, to the so- Eagles because for those folks that are listening right now, we're talking to Dick Vermeule, one of the newest entries into the Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio, and uh, what a great tribute to Dick and to the National Football League and all the uh, stops he made along the way. But it all began with a guy by the name of Leonard Sose who owned the Philadelphia Eagles at that time. And a very unusual owner, but uh, I know you were very close to him. Uh, but uh, when you came in, that was not a Hall of Fame team. <laughs> no, no you, you couldn't today, you couldn't rebuild a team today with the restrictions you have as a coach now to coach. You know, in those days, I could stay on the field as long as I wanted to, have as many double days as I wanted to, have as many breaks. <laughs> players in training camp for most of the camp. We played six preseason games. And you had a lot more time to develop the players you had. Remember, we didn't have first, second, or third round pick for three years. And the third year, we're in the playoffs. Why? Because we could improve the players that we had. You know. Yeah, Roger, you, had the, you had the time. You know, Dick, getting back to the Rams, it, just, uh, it was amazing. I happened to be in St. Louis during your uh, camp. And I got to uh, to interview you. And one of the questions I had was, do you think this is really a good team? And obviously, then I was at the Super Bowl, and I got to ask you the question again, but I, a little bit different term, phraseology. I said, well, you told me at training camp you thought it was a good team, but did you have any idea it was this good? No, you know, you know, the, you won the Super yeah. Bowl. When I watched the team early training camp and off season with Trent Green now at quarterback, and uh, I knew we were going to be a good football team. I had no way could I predict we'd be a world championship team. But mm-hmm. the, the you know they had paid such a price in those tough practices and discipline and structure and my coaching staff. You know I gave them time to coach, and they helped good players get better. And you know, mm-hmm. Charlie Arm and John Becker did a good job in losing. They drafted good players. 
our job was to put those good players that had been losing together and help them get better and make winning contributions. And, and that's what my staff did. And uh, But we worked awfully hard. My third year, we backed off on them a little because I really felt we were there. And I wasn't going to get any more out of them in my double days in training camp than I got out of them the year before. But, uh, you know, we were just together, like you said, at the Hall of Fame two weeks ago. And the entire starting offense from the Ram team was there intact. Plus, mm-hmm. Ricky Prohl, the slot receiver on third downs and nickel, the backup tight end, and all these kind of guys. And the, the, every, you know, the, whole, the whole offense was there. Four Hall of Famers with Torrey Holt will be another Hall of Famer one day. So, right. you know, and they had so much fun together. You know, they re- it was it was so so rewarding to see them enjoy each other so much. Dick, one other thing before we switch over to Frank. Frank's got to come, and he'd like to chat a little bit about it as well. It was a good thing that field wasn't five yards shorter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said even in my Hall of Fame speech. If we don't make – if Mike Jones doesn't make that tackle – I'm not standing on that stage. You know, very few coaches anymore that have won a Super Bowl get in the Hall of Fame. You know that. I'll tell you, that was one of the most unbelievable last series and one of the yeah. most believable endings to a game. It was like Chuck Bednarik sitting on Taylor at, at Franklin Field, <laughs> Philadelphia, a little before your time. But I was there for that one. And, and well, the same idea. You're exposing your age. <laughs> Frank, go ahead. You know, Don, a lot of people don't know because he's such a, a quiet, reserved person. But this man has raised over $2 million for the YMCA of Chester County through his golf tournaments and, and charity work that he's done. And um, I just wanted to bring that out so everybody knows. And there's a lot of other things that, uh, that have come up, uh, that uh, especially dealing with Leonard Toast uh, in the end, that uh, people just don't know what a wonderful person this is. It's not just a guy out there with the, with the yellow coat on or gold coat, whatever you want to call it. It's a guy who really believed in the game, believed in people, and still to this day, after many years of retirement, believes in, in his uh, community. Well, thank you. And that's nice of you to say, Frankie. You know, I enjoy my community. As I tell the Eagle fans, I feel like I know each one of them personally. <laughs> <laughs> and they know you. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, Dick, you know what was great? Uh, Andy Reid and his wife were at your Hall of Fame ceremony. And, you know, I know the way you kept in touch with Andy when he was coaching and everything. And I think that says a lot. But isn't that ironic? Your your last uh, coaching job was, uh, was with the uh, uh, Chiefs, and now Andy's mm-hmm. with the Chiefs after you were both with the Eagles. I think it's really mm-hmm. ironic. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, Andy Reid and Tammy – showing up there Friday night for the gold jacket dinner in the middle of training camp was practiced the next morning in Kansas city to show his respect for me was the finest tribute I have ever received from another football coach in my entire career. And I will never forget it. And I will always be in debt to how much I appreciated that effort. Well, Nick, let me ask you this because the game has changed so much now. Uh, you mentioned a minute ago, uh, you, you know, the way the Eagles were built when you came in and, and built it from from just great coaching, not from great selections because you didn't have them. But the, yeah. the game as we watch it today, uh, I'm having a little tougher time uh, being as involved as I used to be. Not, not just because I'm older, 
I don't enjoy the game the way it's played as much today. Okay. I understand what you're saying. I know I'm going to tell you from a coach's standpoint, watching the season last year, especially as it wound down and got into playoff games, I've never seen so many exciting football games from a fan standpoint to watch the game be played. I mean, every game was unbelievable. Right. And I think that's a great tribute to the NFL as it is today. It is different. The old-fashioned ball, you'd spend a lot more time just beating the hell out of each other. You know, now there's a lot more finesse in the game, a lot more speed in the game. You know, and uh, it's uh, it's very interesting. I still believe football is a trend game and a cycle game, and, and you're going to see the em- emphasis of running game gradually move back in as the defenses get better at defensing passes with smaller linebackers and faster pass rushers and slower run defenders. You know, I think you'll see it. Yeah, and in fact, the Eagles did it last year, second half of the season. They decided they wanted to win what they do, and they win the running game. And they couldn't stop them. That's stop right. Them. And 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 the, if they hadn't run, Dick, I don't think they would have uh, gotten to the playoffs. Oh, no way. No way. They weren't, they weren't gelled yet as an offensive team. They'll be a lot better this year. They're going to be a good football team. They'll Everybody's anticipating 11 or maybe even as high as 12 wins. And, of course, a lot of it depends on, on how your quarterback comes up and, and yeah. what great versatility he brings to the field. And uh, yeah. But uh, the division has changed so dramatically. I mean, when yeah. you were coaching, it's, it's and, a, oh, boy, it was the Giants. It was the Cowboys. It was Washington. Yeah. It was the Eagles. Yeah, I mean, every Tom, single game was a murder. Here I am, the Eagles. I got Don Coriel. Okay, George Allen at the Redskins. And, and, uh, then we get the people in New York get that turned around. Which, my God, uh, every every week and, you know, you're playing some Don Coolidge team, the Bud Grant team, all names that are in the Hall of Fame today. But yeah. Anyway, I, I I'm very excited about the season. I'm looking forward to seeing it go. I think the Eagles will be good. I think the Rams will be good. I think the Chiefs will be good. And there's always going to be a surprise team. Hopefully the Giants will get going. Yeah. Roger? Well, I, the, uh, you're, I, I agree with you, Coach. I, I do. I, I think that they are going to be uh, very uh, very good. Uh, you know, what do you think uh, – uh, how do you think Andy's going to do with the Chiefs? Uh, you think they'll uh, make it back to another Super Bowl? I think if anyone's going to, you have to start there. But that division is so tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's going to be hard to break even in the division. If we don't break even in the division, you're not going to be a strong playoff team. You know, there's good teams in that division. You know? Oh, excellent. I'm curious to see what Denver does now. Seattle mm-hmm. won't be what they were, you know. They won't be without the quarterback. They aren't. I don't care. They aren't going to be what they were, you know. And uh, But the Raiders, you know, John Gruden turned over a good football team there, you know. Mm-hmm. And I. I'm going to miss John Gruden on the sideline. I have great admiration and respect for him. And I, I know him well enough to know the things they accuse him of. He, he is not, okay? And sometimes you might tell the wrong joke or laugh at the wrong thing, but we all used to be able to do that. We, we all used sure to be did. Able to do that one time in, the, in our culture, you know. It was a different well, era. Well, yeah. Dick, if you break it into four, 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 and four, uh, when you, 
at least that's the way I always like to look at the schedule. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And and you look at the schedule for the Eagles get they're in a great position to start. They haven't you know they haven't had this kind of uh, an opportunity to start really hot. I think this year they do. Yeah, I wouldn't be doubted. I wouldn't doubt it. You know, but I'll tell you this: you watch a little of the Hard Knocks, and I know some of the people yes. that Detroit staff—they're coaching tough, old-fashioned, hard football. When you beat them, you're going to earn it, okay? Because they're going to knock the hell out of you. <laughs> you better. Well, be your tough. buddy Angelo Cataldi, coach, picked the yeah. Lions to beat the Eagles in that first game. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you'll you know, have to and, get after and, him when and, you're on with him. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, and Angel is very passionate about the Eagles, and he's very high and very low. You know, he can be high in one day and down the next day. But uh, I, I, it's going to be very difficult for Detroit to beat him uh, because the Eagles are so talented. Mm-hmm. Detroit will will startle them in in how they play the game in tempo. Yeah. Day before we get. Still there? The Eagles yeah. and then on. Hello? Yeah. Then on we, to St. Louis you, and, then, and then on to Kansas City. We lost you, Don, for a minute. Don, we lost you for a minute. Go ahead. Yeah. I just want to get back, Dick, uh, for some of the people listening. Dick Vermeil, our, our Hall of Fame coach, on with us right now and is winding things down. Dick, talk a little bit about the pressure because you're, I think you're a perfect example. You, in fact, at the beginning of our interview, you talked about you were away for 14 years. And, you know, there was a period in your life where you said, I guess, you know, mentally I'm just not ready to do this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I that was my own fault. You know, I could I could listen to people, but I wouldn't hear them. Or I mm-hmm. could hear them, and I wouldn't listen to them, you know. And, uh, you know, that was my own fault. And uh, I, I, I regret not listening to people. And But that was my own insecurity. I, all, I was always afraid I wasn't doing a good enough job. And, uh, and I was always a little bit. A little bit intimidated by the Tom Landry's and the Don Chulas, all these coaches that uh, I held in such high esteem when I was high school coach and a junior college coach and a college coach. Now I find myself coaching on the same field with it. It was a little intimidating. You know, they, they, I, you know, the other thing I think, John, is it's always good to value someone at a level of, above what you value, what you, uh, value yourself. You know, I have such admiration from those great coaches that uh i just i don't think i ever belong in their list okay <laughs> uh, they invented you, the game <laughs> hey listen you did a lot uh, to contribute to, to the uh the history and 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 place you know one thing and don and i and frank were talking about it uh after you went into the hall of fame you didn't really want to talk about uh, ron jaworski because it would just really get you emotional and the relationship that you have had from back in 1980, I mean, before 80. But the other thing is I used to go to the uh, arena games, uh, yeah. you know, with the soul. Yeah. And I know you were involved with Ron, and it was a great experience. A lot of – you know what I thought, Dick? I thought it was a great family uh, yeah. atmosphere to go it there. It was. You know, it was fun. It was a great way to lose money. I know we kept you a little longer than we thought, but I want to thank you very, very much for taking time. Your your schedule is so filled, 
And I'll yeah, tell you well, one thing. We'll keep getting. Well, I keep getting my emails. I keep getting that wine. I want to know all about it. You're the, you're, you're okay, becoming buddy. the wine master. Yeah, I'm heading out this Friday. I'll be out there driving tractor for three weeks. Oh, nice. Well, I just want to get on that. I just want to get on that train with you. When you're one of those speakers, yeah, I missed you by by one day. The last time I was out there, you were on the train the day before I got there. But best of luck with the wine. Best of luck with everything. And thank you so very, very much for taking this much time to spend with right. us on the I'm show. Be with you guys. Take care. Take care, Bye-bye. Coach. God bless. Take, take care. Bye bye. Dick Vermeil. He's one of fantastic. the great people in all sports, best, and certainly one of the great people in football, and, and just great to have him on with it. It was awfully nice. And Mike Zimzak's ready to go as well. No, and, no, no, uh, Gary's Mike, on. Uh, no, it's Gary. Gary Cobb. Gary Cobb. G. Cobb. Oh, we yeah, jumped from hey, Dick Vermeil hey, to Gary. Gary Cobb. Yeah, what a way to uh, – Hey, Gary. You're going from, you're, we're going from the A team to the double A team. Gary, how are you? <laughs> I'm uh, doing great, doing great. Um, of course, uh, I'm over there checking out the birds. You know, they're uh, they're down in Miami now, but uh, they're they're busy getting ready for the season. Hey, hey Gary, I wanted to talk about a couple things. You know, the uh, Don and and I especially were very close with Henry Clay, and I know you were. And uh, mm-hmm. and but uh, you know, I want two things. I wanted uh, you talked about uh, what it was like with Buddy. Okay, and, and I mean, and because uh, I've heard you many times on the air. But the, the other thing is, uh, talk about, uh, you have a very successful website, gcob.com. And talk about how that evolved and, and how it has, uh, how it started and how it's evolved. Because it's really an excellent site. Well, you know, I, I, I really don't put the, the kind of time in I used to uh, until the season starts. But, but really what uh, happened was, I, you know, I didn't really know what I was getting into. You know, I, I um, had been on the air for so long, and, you know, with my kids, you know, they're doing all this stuff online, you know, and they're all this talking mm-hmm. online. Well, gradually I started writing articles. So I started writing the articles, and uh, people – you know, a number of people started following. They wanted to hear what I said, what was going on. So I started writing articles about the Eagles. In fact, I would write them about the other uh, teams in Philadelphia, the Sixers. And, uh, you know, I, I, I had knowledge of everything, but I wasn't as, of course, uh, as strong with the Flyers. But, you know, I played so much baseball and basketball that I was talking mm-hmm. about the other teams too. But the Eagles were the main thing. And it's just amazing what, the way people – the Eagles fans and, and the, the Philadelphia sports fans, they just wanted to interact, and, and that's what it is. The guys are able to go online and interact with each other and react to what I, what I have to say about what's going on with the team and who played well and who didn't, uh, why, and all the different things that are going on. It was, it was something guys were able to do during their coffee break, and that's what really has become the where – the guys want to check on the Eagles during their coffee break while they're at work. You know, they can find out what's going on with them. You know, uh, one of the coaches might have talked or somebody might be coming off of a game. They want to find out who's hurt, who's feeling good, or who messed up, who's the coach saying was the reason that they lost the last game, you know, things like that. So there's always something going on. And a lot of the guys started um, living off that site. 
uh, that, w- that was kind of their lunch break. And, and everything they did when they had free time, they would go to my site. And uh, now there are, of course, many more sites talking about the Eagles and everything. But I think I was a little ahead of the game when I started at gcob.com. Oh, you love our special guest this yep. segment. And, Gary, let's, let's talk about uh, one of the real personalities that uh, you had an opportunity to be with, and that was Buddy Ryan. I, I had such a great time all the years I was there. did Buddy Ryan's show on, on radio. And uh, I, people, I mean, he was just a cut charismatic guy. Well, you know, Buddy was an entertainer. And the reason <laughs> I say that is, you know, but Buddy was one guy, like when you when you got along with Buddy, if you were one of his players and you got along with him, he was a completely different guy. And that's why guys would play so hard for him because he really was a warm, caring coach. Uh, a guy that he, he, he wouldn't be this way out in front of everybody, though. Out in front of everybody, he was you know, uh, cutting and, you know, uh, he, he was callous and he was vicious. Uh, he, he would really go after the other team with, with uh, you know, uh, questioning their heart. And, you know, he would be, he would be very entertaining. But that was, that was an act, really. That wasn't really the real Buddy Ryan. But he was very entertaining to where he would entertain us. And once you got to know him, you, you wouldn't care what he said out, out, out there in front of everybody because – you you really knew who he was when he got along with them, but but Buddy was uh, he was an aggressive coach. He was really ahead of the league for about three years. His defense was ahead of the NFL. And Jerry that's was why, you're exactly uh, right because we'd have the normal press conferences on Monday following the game, and then I always had to do a little thing with him uh, for the network after he had the press conference. And of course, when we did the radio show down at the Rivet. You're exactly right. He was just such a, an entirely different individual uh, in different circumstances, and he knew exactly when to put the show on. And and uh, you right. you couldn't you couldn't be more on target with that. <laughs> yeah, he, he was he was a great entertainer, and you know his boys have done the same thing. They're entertainers. Yes, yeah. they have. And, and, yep. and Gary, you you don't see a coach come into a press conference at the uh, after the day of the game, all dressed up with a tie on and a sport jacket, ready to do, to go wherever he might want to go. That's right. Yeah. Well, you know, he he had. Uh, I think that he learned to to be entertaining, and he might have learned some of that from Dicka. You know. Right. Because <laughs> Dick, cause Dicka's. Even though Dicka's, I don't know how much his is it is is, uh, is entertaining because Dicka's pretty much the same guy all, all the time. <laughs> but but uh, he learned about the value though of, of putting on a show and realizing that uh, you know it, it is entertainment. And so he he would he would make it fun and uh, give people something to get riled up about uh, because he really uh, had fun with the Cowboys. He kind of liked that part. <laughs> well, he also liked he the part about the taking that bus around in Chicago, come on out there to That's play. Right. Where it turned out to be the fog day, but he went around the stadium honking a horn, blowing it. He loved to tell that story. <laughs> oh yeah, he, you gotta you gotta give it to him. He had some good ideas, and uh, and he and he really though he was he was a uh, outstanding defensive coach. You know, I I can't say much for him. You know, on, on, on overall. But as a defensive coach, he was brilliant. 
And because, um, in fact, you know, I played for the Eagles there for three years, really played two years for a buddy. And I knew all of the system and everything. Well, you know, I, I have to keep this under my hat, but I went down and played with the Cowboys in a couple of years. <laughs> and, you know, I, I don't want to say that too too uh, too loud in this area, but anyway. I know. <laughs> but I went down and played a couple of years down in, in, in Dallas. And while I was down there, I was trying to explain to Tom Landry that the defense he was playing was so coordinated. And Tom said, oh, he's just got people running all over the place. I said, no, Coach, he, he does not have everybody running all over the place. And I was explaining to Tom, you know, what he was doing with his defense. And, you know, uh, I think Tom realized then that the game had kind of went past Tom, you know. Because for a long while, Tom Landry was ahead of the NFL, but he didn't have any idea what Buddy Ryan was doing with his defense. Because, see, Buddy did a lot of automatics where he would just call, he would send in a call from the sideline and, and it would be check with me or automatic front and coverage, which meant depending on the formation, we jumped into a certain defense. And the, the opposing team wouldn't know it, but we were getting into a defense that was ideal against whatever they did out of the formation. So, Buddy was, uh, he was really ahead of the game for a long while. And uh, nobody knew what to do with, with him. I mean, that, that 1985 Bears team owed more to Buddy Ryan than anybody else when it came to the reason uh, they greatest, won that greatest, Super Bowl. Amen. Greatest defensive team of all time, in my view. Yeah. Yeah, mine, yep. me too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they were. And, and Buddy Ryan was the main reason for it because he put those guys in an ideal situation to dominate. But he also had the right personnel to do it. That's right. Yeah, he, he had the right personnel. That's right. He had the right personnel. And those guys were, were great players. Uh, but, uh, but Buddy, he, he took them to another level. And if you realize, you see, they, they never got to that level again. Uh, and, and that was the reason. is because uh, Buddy, Buddy did things and had them doing things that put them in ideal positions to dominate a game and to really crush the opponent. And that's the thing he – he wasn't just into stopping the other team. He wanted to take the ball away from them. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, nowadays that's so important in, in the NFL, and people realize how important it is because if you take the ball away, you're going to win. If you, if you force turnovers, you're going to win. Uh, that's primarily the, the situation in the NFL. You force turnovers, and a team that does turn the ball over, you're not going to win. Just that simple. And, Absolutely. Who knows? Maybe Carson Wentz will figure that out this year. Gary mm-hmm. Garb, our special guest this segment of the program, and uh, Roger, you're up. Well, just uh, Gary, let's get uh, let's talk about this year's Eagles team. There's a lot expected of them. Uh, you think that uh, Jaden Hurts uh, is going to uh, really develop into a top-notch quarterback this year? Well, I think there's a chance that he. he well, I can tell you, he's getting better. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole question is, you know, how how good is he going to be? You know, is he going to be 30-plus touchdowns good enough, or, or is he going to be, you know, 25 touchdowns good enough and, and, and 13 interceptions? You know, the, the thing about him is I, I, I do see growth, you know. I see him getting better, and he's, he's more comfortable in the offense. And he's got uh, 
a lot more weapons. So I definitely think they're going to be better. This offense is going to be better than it was last year. It's going to be more consistent. I think Jalen is going to be more consistent. It's just that I, I, I couldn't say right now that he's going to be a uh, a Pro Bowl-level quarterback, though. I, I I could see where he jumps up and, you know, he's uh, not exactly the 30, but he's in the 20s with uh, touchdowns, and he's um, – and he's, he's got his interceptions down near 10, you know, where uh, he takes care of the ball. Uh, the big thing that that I'm concerned with about Jalen is he still likes to run. Mm-hmm. And running quarterbacks don't stay healthy in the NFL. You know, unless you're a kind of running quarterback, you know, um, who, who, will, who will scramble and then he will get on the ground and he will not take hits like Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is the kind of – scrambling quarterback that can survive in the NFL because he doesn't take hits. He will, he will scramble for some yardage. When he sees tacklers, he gets on the ground. And that's mm-hmm. the way I want to see Jalen develop like that uh, because, you know, he, you're just not going to stay healthy running. You know, the guys are so big and they're so fast that at some point, chances are you're going to get hurt if, you, if you're running like a running back. And Terry, he, he really how about Jackson do- down in Baltimore? Yeah, I mean, hey, you hit it on the head. Look at him. Look, look how, many, how much time he's missed. I mean, yeah. look at the, uh, the big guy. Uh, who am I thinking of uh, who was with Carolina, took him to the Super Bowl? Um, the, 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 oh, big, the big guy from Alabama. Or Auburn. Cam Newton. Cam Newton. Cam Newton. Where's Cam Newton now? Why, why don't we see Cam? Cam Newton is hurt. He was beat up. Mm-hmm. So if, if Jalen will just – you know, only run when you have to, and don't take hits. Get on the ground, give up some yardage, because he has got some great players around him now. I mean, it's A.J. Brown. This kid is a – he's a monster. I mean, he's, he is built like a, a big running back, and when he catches the ball, the DBs do not want to tackle him. I'm telling you. He, he's, he's a big guy, and, you know, he, he's got great hands. And he's just outstanding player. Uh, Devontae Smith, he's just getting better and better every day. You know, he's a great player. You know, there's a reason he, he won the Heisman Trophy. So they have tremendous weapons. All Jalen has to do is let those guys make the plays. Get the ball into the hands of your playmakers. But he doesn't need to run. And, and if I were the coach, I would really be discouraging him from running because if he will just stay healthy, He's going to have a good year. The only thing mm-hmm. that can mess things up for the Eagles is if he gets hurt. And the way they're running their offense is, you know, they got him running too much. You know, it, they, right. they need to scramble. You know, he, he doesn't need to be running. That's the only thing that concerns me because they really are really talented. And, and their defense is much better than it was last year. Well, so, that's what I wanted to I, ask I, you. What I, do you think about uh, uh, the uh, my guy from Georgia, Jordan Davis? Well, uh, you know, George, Jordan Davis is, you know, he, he's a uh, tremendous athlete, a great player. Uh, he, he needs to get in better shape. You know, he's still, you know, they're still working him, you know, where, you know, he's going to play one or two plays and then he's going to come out. But he's got to get in better shape. Uh, well, he's he's tremendous. Gary, let me I mean, ask you about that. Because I, I think I never yeah. understood in all my years, and there have been a lot of years, how can these guys – 
come out of school with all these high recommendations to sign these big contracts, and then the first thing they say is, well, you know, he came into camp, he's 25 pounds overweight. Yeah, he's not ready. How can you do that? Well, uh, I know when, you know, I kind of gave him a break when he came in here um, after he got drafted. I figured he was running around and, you know, they're having parties and different things, you know, because he got drafted so high and, and all that. But uh, he, he, he's, um, you know, he's gotten in better shape than he was then, but he still needs to get in better shape, you know, um, so that he could play a full game if he needed to, because I don't think he could play a full game. He, He's the kind of guy that's going to be rotated. But, but they have enough depth where they're going to be rotating him. Uh, but the kid, is, he's a special player because he can take on double teams, and he does a great job. I mean, he, for a guy as tall as he is, he just has the athleticism and the, the physical presence to be able to take on double teams and just stop them right there in the hole. And, and he, he, uh, he really is a great guy for a linebacker to play behind because he, he doesn't let the offensive lineman off on you. So, uh, so I, I definitely think he's going to be uh, a factor. He's going to knock down a lot of passes because he's so tall, got those long arms. Uh, they're going to have him lined up over the center a lot. Uh, so I, I think that he's going to have a good year, uh, but he's just going to get better and better. But, uh, you know, he, he's got some things he needs to tighten up on. But I tell you what, He's already become a much better pass rusher than he was when he got here. So he's already affecting the the the, the, uh, the passer as a pass rusher, and and that's going to be huge because he could play the run when he got here, but but now he's doing a better job playing the pass. Very and good. The our special guest this segment, and uh, Roger, I'll let you ask the last question well, before we let yeah. Gary run away from us. Thank you very, very much for spending so much time with us. Roger, get the last question in. Well, you know, I, I agree, uh, Gary. The other thing is you got the NFL, different caliber, even though they won the national championship at Georgia. It's totally different, uh, the competition and uh, the quality of the players. And the other thing is 17 games. So you got to be That's in right. better yep. shape. Okay? Go That's ahead. That's right. Yes. Yeah, well, you know, that's something he's going to have to work on. Uh, I know that it's going to feel like uh, he's at the end of the road and they're just going to be halfway through the season. <laughs> but that's but right. I, I think yeah. you know, he's, 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 a, he's a young kid, so he'll be able to deal with it. But I, I think he's going to be a big factor as the season goes along because he's already made a lot of progress, uh, and, and their defense is going to be better. they got Hassan Riddick, who's going to be a great pass rusher for them, James Bradbury playing opposite, uh, you know, Darius Slay. They got two Pro Bowl-level corners. Uh, I like the way some of the kids are playing back there at the safety spot. Uh, they really going to have an outstanding defense. And, and get this, they've got some quality linebackers now. You know? I know. Uh, I know. Amazing. <laughs> hey, cause amazing. White, well, listen, we'll talk uh, to you he, during this. He's a player. Uh, Gary, we'll, we'll talk to you regularly. We appreciate it. It's always great talking to you and seeing you and uh, gcob.com. Oh, check it out. But uh, Gary, we'll talk to you soon. The games, the games right. are about hey, have a good one. You too. Take right. care. Thanks, Gary. Thank right. you very, very much. Okay, let's let's jump down. Why well, we got so many things going on at one time tonight? Uh, we're going to go down to the Washington Baltimore area now. Mike Zimzak is ready to go. And Roger, you wanted to start uh, the conversation with Mike tonight. Go ahead. 
Okay, Mike. Uh, good to talk to you. And I, got, Mike, I just saw a little while ago that NBC uh, is selling NBC Sports Washington. Uh, they're not going to sell the other properties. Um, my question is, could that have an effect on the national sale? Actually, Roger, that's a good call. NBC um, is selling NBC Sports Washington to Ted Leonsis, who owns Monumental Sports, which controls the uh, Mystics, the Wizards, and the Caps. Right. So they're folding that all under one umbrella. Um, it may... I don't know how to say this other than it may or may not have a effect on the sale to Washington uh, of the Nats, but it does make Ted Leonsis a slightly more attractive bidder than he already mm-hmm. was, and he was already probably the premier bidder because he's from this area. Mm-hmm. He's worked with the runners. Remember, the learners have about a 30% stake in monumental sports, which now means they have a significant stake in the operation that you're talking about. So even if he doesn't take over the team outright this year and buys 30 40%, he can find his way into ownership. Mm-hmm. I think what's interesting is that Artie Moreno came out and said that he was willing to sell the Angels. And for my money, I think this has an effect on people who might bid on the Nats because now you have two Major League Baseball teams and two very distinct areas. Mm-hmm. Um, D.C. is a completely different market than L.A. But mm-hmm. if you're not an East Coast-oriented person, okay, I don't need to buy the Nats to get involved in Major League Baseball. I can look at the Angels, which are more West Coast-oriented. And I think that that might have an effect on the bidders. Uh, yes, I do think that uh, Ted Leonsis uh, and Monumental Sports getting a hold of uh, NBC Sports Washington is going to have an effect. At which point I, it, that it does is going to be interesting because you know the Nats are still tied in the Masson and they've got to sort that out. And we also hear that the is there anything new on the sale? Is there any any uh, idea of is, there, is the sale going to be coming, consummated before the end of the year, after the end of the year? Is it going to be consummated? Don, I, outside of Ted Leonsis, I don't really know a lot of the bidders. So, no, I don't think it's going to be before the end of the, the, uh, the, end of the season. I don't think it's going to be before the end of the year. I think the winter meetings are more um, at time for it to happen. I just... I, Outside of Ted Leonsis, I don't know any real serious bidders for this team, but I know there are. And that tells me that there's some stuff going on behind the scenes that we just don't know because it hasn't been put out in the media yet. 
Roger. Well, the uh, you know they uh, he's been around the D.C. area in sports for a long time because I remember his name what back in the eighties. And uh, am I right about that? Mm-hmm. Yes, Mike. You are. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I when I read that today, that was the first thing I thought of. You know, with that monumental sports, but. Uh, let me ask you, the, the, I would think they'd probably be able to buy out of a Maxson, okay? I mean, there's always a, a money talks. I mean, that's what I, the way I look at it. But I, as soon as I saw that, I said, that could change everything on the Nets. The Nets. Did, was he the buyer of the caps uh, uh, from uh, – who was the uh, gentleman that really started the caps and uh, was there for years, and then he sold part of it? And then uh, uh, he took in some other. Uh, I know the, his name. I just can't think of it. Yes, you are 100 percent right. I'm in the same boat. I can't think of the name. But Ted Leonsis bought um, kind of like when Comcast bought the Sixers and the Flyers back a while ago. Um, yes, right. Yeah, it, it, it was the same sort of setup. Ted Leonsis came in, and yes, you're right. I can't think the guy's name, but you're 100% right. He bought out then. He's taken over both the uh, Capitals, the Wizards, and uh, the Mystics. He bought a new, he built a new arena for the Mystics. He also owns the uh, a significant part of the Capital One Center, and all the betting down there. So as far as Ted Leonsis and Monumental Sports, there's nothing bigger in D.C. And yeah. the fact that he's a D.C. guy makes that more attractive. He's got an existing partnership with the learners, uh, in part because they own a portion of Monumental Sports. So this transition would be a little less stark if it was Ted that bought it. I think one of the big questions is going to be whether or not we feel like one person should own three franchises in a single city. Yeah, but you said that last week. That was one of the concerns as to whether you yeah. should own three franchises in the same city. That's a lot. Well, let's let's um, switch over now. Let's go to the let's go to the. The Commodores. What uh, you see now? Two practice games, or whatever you want to call them. And uh, some people have been optimistic about what they've seen. Some people have been pessimistic. What have you seen? The big story down here this week has been that Antonio Gibson, the running back for the uh, Commanders has been kind of relegated to second string in favor of Brian Robinson Jr., the third-round draft pick, rookie running back from Alabama. He was their starting running back in the national championship game in the playoffs this year. Uh, I think he this year set a rushing record about 270 yards for the Cotton Bowl over Cincinnati. I mean, this is a Five-star running back coming to Alabama. He was uh, put on the sidelines by Najee Harris and Josh Jacobs, who were two 
all pro NFL caliber guys, but those were the only two guys who who uh, restricted him. This is a legit running back. Antonio Gibson comes out of Memphis. He's a third-round draft pick from the Redskins two years ago. Comes in actually as a wide receiver. He's probably far more like Debo Samuel than anybody else. Why this is a big story, I don't know, but it's one of the few stories that we have in the NFL of a starting caliber guy losing his job to a rookie. I guess that's what it is. Uh, as far as what we've seen on the field, um, they performed up to expectations. Uh, we've seen a lot of what happened last year. The defense has struggled on third down against the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes was five for five on third down conversions, but that's Patrick Mahomes. He tends to do stuff like that. Uh, they put uh, Chase Young, who's coming off that knee injury, on the uh, physical unable to perform list, which means he'll miss at least the first four games. So, as far as the commanders go, if everything had broken right, they could have been a 10-11 win team, but thus far through the preseason, we haven't seen everything break right. Um, the offense has looked like what we thought it was. The defense has struggled with some of the same issues that they struggled with last mm-hmm. year. Um, getting guys off on third down. Uh, Carson Wentz has been accurate at times, but not impressive. So we're kind of back where we thought that we could be with the commanders, which looks like a middle-of-the-road team. Yeah, uncertainty. You know, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about soccer, uh, Mike, and uh, the the home opens. And um, you know, the uh, United are still, uh, you know, not really pr- uh, producing like they did uh, when they first came into the league. And uh, they, I, I was reading some uh, good articles about uh, the uh, MLS. I think it just had its. Uh, anniversary didn't it uh, from its uh, origin and the other thing yeah. is i'm just uh, seeing the highlights on mlb network and i think it's interesting how one sport cross promotes another sport in their promotions and i see that uh, what is it september 2nd the orioles for their promotion are giving out a soccer orioles jersey so, I mean, I think that's interesting, you know, where you have a Major League Baseball team that is uh, giving out a, uh, a soccer jersey. Uh, just goes I, to I show you about promotions like today in sports. I I'm sorry? Like one of those. I, I, would, yeah. I, I, I think I would like an Orioles soccer jersey. Um, Roger, I don't know if you saw it. Um, Philadelphia Union came down and played D.C. Uh, United this Saturday and beat them 6 nothing, which means in two games across this season, uh, Philadelphia has now outscored D.C. United 13 to nothing. Wow. The best part of this was um, after the game, D.C., uh, the Philadelphia Union fans 
uh, took over the DC United Wikipedia page. It was quite humorous. I have screenshots of it. They na- they named Jim Curtin the uh, chairman of uh, DC United. They said in the schedule that uh, DC United has no plans to play Philadelphia Union because every time they get humiliated, and they gave full ownership as of August 20th, uh, 2022, of D.C. United to the uh, Philadelphia Union. It, it, it was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure all of that has been changed back since, but it, it was a good walk, read afterwards. As far as Atlanta United goes, I've talked about this many times on the show. Um, the margins of player recruitment in MLS are pretty fine. Mm-hmm. You can get a group of guys together, and you can expect it to go one way, and it might, but you can expect it to go one way, and it doesn't. I mm-hmm. think, again, Atlanta United, this year, put together the most expensively assembled team in MLS history. And for whatever reason, it just has not worked. No. Whereas uh, Union went through, they stuck to their kind of ethos and who they brought in, um, the players they brought in, and it's had its bumps, but it really has worked. You know, when you have the salary cap and the financial restraints that Major League Soccer teams do. You can't buy your way out of mistakes. And, and mm-hmm. Atlanta United is learning that. When they came to the league, they did a lot different than anybody else had done. The way they scouted South America, how they were bringing in players, was very novel. And they were able to parlay that into three really successful seasons. And an MLS Cup. But it's a copycat league such as most North American sports leagues are. And people have caught up to it and they've learned how to either combat it or copy it. And it just hasn't worked out as well for them recently. Well, I think the other thing was that they did a great uh, job of marketing and uh, promotion and and they had took really good people that they had even with the Falcons and took them over. And then they built the training complex, which is uh, not near Flowery Branch. It's on the other side of, of Atlanta, on the west side, so to speak, or northwest versus northeast. But it was in the community, and, and they knew what they were doing, I mean, as far as uh, getting it going. But I agree with you. I think uh, they uh, got off to a great start, but uh, – uh, they've been floundering the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, they still get the crowds, but, uh, you know, I don't know if you're ever going to get 70,000 again like they did that first year. I think that they will. I mean, the fan support is there regardless. Unless the team is, like, totally awful and unwatchable, they will mm-hmm. get the fans. Let me, let, me interrupt, let me interrupt just for one second. Frank, whatever has happened – in the last 10 seconds, I can actually hear Mike now. We had all kinds of overtone all the time. The, the coach was on and all the time Gary yeah. was on. 
I don't know whether Roger had it or not. I didn't want to interrupt yeah, I the did. break. I had that interference. But too, now Doc. this is what I can now, now I can actually can hear be. somebody. Yeah. Go ahead. All I can say is it wasn't my fault. No, I don't, I don't know what it is. Every, it it, it is. goes off, and then it, every once in a while, you know, we go through a whole show, and we have a, this override over, over, and then it goes off for like 15 minutes. Or, I don't know what happens. But anyway, now I can actually hear you. Go ahead. Yeah, it's clear as can be, Mike. Right. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, uh, but, Roger, I think the uh, fan support is there. And that's oh, I'm not. Thing. I'm not disputing that. I'm just saying and I don't know whether. Think, with even with a team performing the way that they are currently, if you open up everything in uh, Mercedes Benz like they have in the past for a game, I think they'll get the people out there. One Atlanta United has done. A tremendous job of creating fan support in that area. And mm-hmm. that is a lesson to be learned for all current and future MLS teams. How they got that to happen, and still, you know, you can go through your first three years, be very, very successful. Now they're in a little bit of a lull, and they'll still get the same fan support. Now, Hold on just a second, fellas. Frank tells me we have a caller on the line right now before we go to to, uh, Doug Hamilton. Uh, Frank, go ahead. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, you're you're up. I I just wanted to say, nigger cunt, nigger cunt, nigger cunt, nigger. Oh, my gosh. Takes care of that. Just what we need. So we'll report that to the uh, FCC. I've got his number here. That is a whack job. That is a whack yeah. job. Okay, All right. uh, Mike, I, finish up, and then we'll go to we'll go to Doug. Okay, number one, that is not re- representative of the listenership of this show. No, or the participants. So we apologize sincerely. Um, well, we got the background on again, Frank. Whatever whatever happened, we now we have the background noise again. Yeah, some, like woman, some woman, with the TV, TV some woman talking in the back. I don't know who she is, but yeah. somebody's talking. Got it. Yeah, I just, I just, uh, it was, they came back on, and I was able to uh, take them off the air. Okay. Yeah. Um, we sincerely apologize for that. Um, that is not representative of us or the people who listen to this show. Somebody decided that they wanted to try and be clever, and we're not. And Always somebody, Mike. Always somebody wants to do that. For those of you who may have heard that, we sincerely apologize. That is not representative of who we are. You got it. Uh, Mike, thank you very, very much. And uh, as always, a pleasure. We'll get together again next week, and uh, we'll have some new news from Baltimore, Washington, and from MLS and from the hockey, uh, the soccer front. All right. Have a great week, Mike. Take care. Take care. Peace. Doug, I'm sitting here watching your Orioles as we speak on um, MLB. Yep. And uh, they're they're still trying to make a run of things. I'll tell you, they, they are an interesting team to watch. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Um, I watch or listen to every single game 
and um, I'm. It's they're just they're really never out of a game. They'll throw up a clunker every now and again, but for the most part, um, they, they're very exciting. They have, um, you know, an island of misfit toys that comprises most of their team, and um, they've played incredibly well this year. Um, some really good baseball. Um, I'm really delighted that some of their younger guys are developing and playing at the major league level as well as some of the cast-offs that they've acquired uh, that are getting a chance to, to play and prove themselves and, and, you know, maybe reassemble their careers. Um, well, we had, a, yeah, we had a baseball expert on the first half hour of the show today, uh, Steve Casella, and he uh, follows baseball as well and all the statistics better than almost anybody I know up and down the major league level as well as the minor league level. And he gave more accolades to Baltimore's farm system than any farm system other than the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, yeah, I mean, look, it's it's twofold. I mean, you can look at the positives of having a really good farm system, but at the same time, I mean, the the way that they've gotten that, unfortunately, has been several seasons of 100, you know, losses uh, that's allowed them to secure a lot of those draft picks and right. say, okay, well, uh, they've obviously done fairly well with, with some of the talent they've drafted, but you know, most importantly, they've they've crafted a team um, in some odd ways with players like um, you know Anthony Santander, and that guy has nearly 70 RBIs, more than 20 home runs. He was a Rule Five draftee. Uh, Tyler Wells was a Rule Five draftee. Um, Doug, who did they come yes. from? Who did they come from well, that, on, on the Rule Five? That's a great question. I mean, I don't know if I. For some reason, the 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 Guardians slash Indians strikes me as somebody that that one of those guys can't. I, I mean, they've taken chances on people. If you're not familiar with the Rule Five Draft, they have uh, the major league level and other levels um, every year. And the 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 rule basically is, if you draft somebody at the major league level that's a Rule Five draftee, which is to say they're left off of the 40-man roster, they're not protected. If you draft that person then you have to keep them on your major league roster for an entire season. In many cases, you know, those players aren't players that would have played major league baseball already. So you're basically saying I'm going to take a a double A or triple A player and he's going to remain on my roster for the entire year and hold that spot from whomever. And Anthony Santander was one of those guys. Um, Dianel Perez was a waiver wire. Um, you know, Felix Bautista was a guy that they got from Miami who never pitched above, I think, a ball. I mean, you know, so they they have. They knew. They knew. Bunch, well, they they took chances on people that obviously that's panned out. So. Yeah. Um, well, Otilio you know, Herrera was well, a rule five. Doug, the general manager must have a pretty good figure because the general manager in the past did not do anything to benefit the bulk. Of course, the, the ownership wasn't. Uh, as driving to get the get the ball club back together again as it is now, I guess. But but uh, well, it looks like the president it looks like the president administration has a pretty good line on what they want to do. Yeah, I mean, look, they 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 were bad for they've been bad for years, and you know, you take a guy in the Rule Five draft and you pick waiver wire people up and you make trades, and what do you get? I mean, does it matter? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, they were so bad that. 
if those guys didn't pan out, well, what did they really lose? You know, so, I mean, Mike Elias was trying to build this team through the draft, and that's, and that's kind of what he's done. And if you look at a lot of the year at the end of your line, uh, this is the time where you do it. Go ahead, Have brother. we lost everybody? Okay. Are you there, well, we, Doug? We, we, lost, we lost it for a minute there. We had that noise back again, but now it's yeah. clear. Go ahead. Is Doug there? No, Doug. Did we lose Doug? No, Doug's dropped. Okay, Doug dropped. Okay. You know, Don, uh, what I was going to say is one of those Rule 5 players was the hey, great, quote-unquote, the great Odubo Herrera. Okay, and the uh, he they got him on the from the Nats. Right, and he was a rule five, and they had to keep him on it, like Doug said. And yeah. uh, you know, now he's gone. He's he's uh, the Phillies uh, uh, released him, and he's not playing at Lehigh Valley. By the way, uh, Bryce Harper is I think two for three uh, tonight, but not a home run. He hit two home runs uh, last night. So uh, we'll I'm sure the uh, he can come off of the sixty day. Disabled uh, or injury list now, the new term, uh, tomorrow. That's the earliest he can come off. So probably uh, by the weekend, uh, we'll probably see. I was going to say, I think by the weekend is what they're projecting. The weekend he'll be back on the the floor. Well, sorry about that, Doug. Uh, Doug. You know, you were talking about uh, the uh, general manager that Don had mentioned, Elias. Yeah, I mean, he's done his due diligence with, I mean, he's a numbers guy. He's an analytics guy. He's, you know, that's why they moved defense back. That's why they've done certain things to, you know, create numerical values that he thinks are winning numbers. And, you know, I mean, over the years, you know, Brandon Hyde has liked people who can play multiple positions and, um, you know, add a little bit of flexibility to, uh, all the different spots. I mean, you see in the minor leagues right now, the number one overall prospect in baseball is in Norfolk, and his name is Gunnar Henderson. Yeah. And they're grooming, they're grooming this guy to play multiple positions because you know guys like Jorge Mateo have shined, and you know they're going to leave him at shortstop. So where does this guy play? You know, apparently somewhere else. Um, mm. You know, so if you can add a bat like that to your lineup, I, I think you're you're looking at some good stuff for the future. Well, yeah, you just brought a fellow up. He played shortstop, right field, second base. Uh, so that's that's what they're looking for. They're looking for more versatility sure. position-wise. And, uh, uh, you know, it's been successful. Well, you know, Steve Kay was talking, Don and uh, and Frank and, and Doug, uh, earlier on the show, as Don alluded to. He was talking about you have got to blend draft picks with free agents. And uh, Tom LeMain, uh sent me a note the other night, and it's happened a couple of times. The starting infield for the Phillies, I think it was last night, and it may be tonight too, I haven't looked, are all homegrown players. You know, you don't see that too often where you have all four infielders came out of the minor leagues on a team which tells you that uh, hopefully, you know, in their case, the minor league system is going to start producing some more good players. Just well, like you're, took you're correct, but the second baseman tonight is not. He, he was a trade, but uh, you're right. That was the, and, yeah, and so but is it, Tom. The, Tom is right also. Yeah, the other night it was. I mean, the starting. And it's happened where all four 
were uh, homegrown, but the other night it was just the uh, starting infield. Yes, yeah, Segura, if he started, you know, he's he's a trade. But are it like uh, and, a, and a good one. He's a he's a good player. Yeah, I mean, really. Well, good he player. is. Yeah, he was hurt two and a half months. Doug, do the Orioles mm-hmm. uh, are they more heavy on uh, their homegrown players right now? Uh, I think they are, aren't they? Well, I think they're at an interesting crossroad. I think with their minor league system being, um, we'll say, fully stocked. Um, all the way through with with options that can continue to grow in their minor leagues and develop hopefully into um, some pretty good players. I think they're they're heavier on position players than anything. I think that some of their prospects in terms of, of pitchers are they've got a couple, but I think through and through they may not know exactly what they have. But I think where you get that blend that you're talking about is now they kind of know you know what they have in their major league team. They they pretty much stood pat at at the trade deadline with you know keeping their bullpen intact and and some of their you know younger talent that they have and I think they'll look forward to an off season where hopefully they'll spend some money in free agency and and lock up you know some better starting pitcher, pitching and you know see where that takes them so um, I think they have some good choices and I think that they're you know an interesting team to watch. Well, before we uh, let the Ravens go by without mentioning them, uh, some of your thoughts on what you've seen in the exhibition season? Um, pretty benign. I mean, I think they're making a big deal out of the Ravens. You know, I guess it is a big deal. I don't know. They've won 22 straight preseason games, which, you know. Doesn't he loves really to win matter. preseason games. He doesn't like to lose preseason games. I don't He doesn't like to lose in, in you know, just period. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that, you know, they've had the injury bug last year and, and were decimated by, you know, a lot of talent getting hurt. Um, some of that was non-contact. Some of that was due to, you know, preseason or, or contact drills. Um, I think that there's a lot of interesting um, talent that they're trying to get reps in some of these games. And I think that there's a lot of position battles that are, you know, still to be held. Um I think Tyler Huntley's looked really good as a backup quarterback. I think that the draft picks that they've made, Isaiah Likely has proven himself to be the move tight end that I think they need uh, that can come out of the slot that's going to replace the guy they had years ago, Hayden Hurst, that was a favorite of Lamar Jackson. And I think the year he won his MVP, he was had the highest percentage uh, completion rate of any NFL quarterback to that slot, which I think they were looking to replace. I think their wide receiving crop is a little weak. I think that um, still in search of, of some linebacking help. Um, I don't know that Patrick, I hope Patrick Queen takes the next step forward. I think their defensive line and, and edge rushing is uh, going to be sufficient. I think their their corners and safeties are pretty elite if they're healthy and, and, and playing. Um, I'm not sure how Kyle Hamilton fits into the, into the picture. It's the number 14 overall draft pick in that first round. I think they're searching for, you know, some playing time for him and, and schemes that he can play within, whether whether it's on field as that safety or maybe he plays closer to the box as, you know, like a nickel off-ball linebacker or something of that nature. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that there's one more game for some – I mean, what do they cut from 90 to 85, big deal, and then, you know, after the next game, which I guess is Saturday against Washington, they, they cut from 85 to their roster of 53. So – 
the scramble begins at that point for who you place on your practice squad as well as you know what talent gets cut around the league that you think can help you in, in terms of positions you feel are, are of need. Uh, so there's still a little bit of football left to play, and, and I think they're handling a lot of their guys that have injuries with you know, white gloves to make sure that they can start the season healthy and, and move forward. So, Roger? Well, yeah, the, uh, did you guys want to talk about some golf before uh, hmm. the end of the show? I mean, you you fellows are the experts mm-hmm. out, mm-hmm. you know, on the links. Right. Well, right right now, there's not anybody that's an expert because they're trying mm-hmm. they're trying to trying to find a way to get everybody in a peaceful mood, but it hasn't right. happened so far. And uh, <laughs> the FedEx, the FedEx this weekend, uh, they're, they're well, they're in your area. They're in Atlanta, Roger. They're down there with you this weekend for the big final. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are, and uh, I saw. Uh, I don't know. I know you didn't get down to Delaware to Wilmington, Don, but uh, or, no. or uh, Doug. But uh, I understand. Uh, well, uh, Cindy Webster put a message out about what a wonderful job that they did with that tournament <coughs> over the weekend. So, uh, you know, accolades to them. And uh, yeah, it's going to be uh, down here and. Uh, I will be working all weekend. I just found out longer hours because we're shorter on help. So, so uh, instead of five, I'm going to be working nine hours a day. Mm. Hopefully, it will not be 95 degrees. Mm. <laughs> well, as Roy McElroy, it was a big article in the New York Post today. Uh, you know, he uh, he talks about that there's no uh, cure all for everybody, for the fans, for the players, for everybody in terms of. You know, uh, this is a different setup for this last round than it is for any other golf tournament. Uh, any comment on, on the way this is established that you could win, you know, six strokes behind before you get to the first three? Right. Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's part and parcel to many of the, the setups. Uh, I mean, you look at, you know, you look at baseball and, and you know, you can make the playoffs and you have a, a one-game opportunity. You know, you've, you've – you know, you've played all year long, and you now you you get to prove it with one game. Um, I mean, certainly, you know, home field advantage, you know, makes a difference in, in a lot of these playoffs. But I don't know. I mean, I guess that system's worked well enough over the year that you've earned um, some sort of an advantage going into to the championship, so to speak. Um, and they've also countered by making uh, a lot more money available beginning next year for the tournaments. Uh, uh, you sure. Know, trying, to, the, trying to counteract what's going on uh, right. with ILV and uh, or whatever the hell it is, and uh, so they're they're trying to do that as well uh, to keep people in line to stay with the PGA. So we'll, it, it's going to be an yeah. ongoing battle until they finally. Uh, I know a couple of the players already withdrew uh, their right. legal charge, so uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, most of this discussion, if you want to talk about golf, is happening off the course, which is unfortunate um, that most of the press is aimed at, you know, moving forward in money and competition with LIV and, and, you know, whatever, court stuff and and all these different things. Um, I think it's unfortunately overshadowed some really good golf this year and some really good players who have an opportunity to, you know, capitalize on on the FedEx championship and, and the playoffs in general. I mean, any sport you talk about, the regular season is the regular season. That's the grind. But when you get to the playoffs, I mean, that's 
that's where you make your money and and um you know that's where we want to see some some good players and some good golf um unfortunately supposed that's supposed to be a gentleman's game doug yeah i mean you know um i'm not sure if this is how greg norman drew it up in terms of the chaos that's being created uh, or the competition between the two or how one's going to restructure or, you know, any of these sorts of things. I mean, look, at the end of the day, you know, there's stars that, that play on the PGA Tour that, that hopefully remain, and, and there's any number of individuals that are licking their chops to get an opportunity to, to tee it up on tour and, and play and make a name for themselves and win. So, you know, it's no different than saying you're your best tight end got hurt and it's the next guy up mentality. Um, so, um, well, the PGA certainly has the right guys. I mean, Tiger flew in last week, uh, to, you know, to Wilmington, and we talked about it on the show last week. That uh, you know they had a meeting with all the players that were available at that mm-hmm. time, and uh, they're doing everything they can to support the PGA. Uh, whether yeah. it's going to work or not, uh, uh, who knows? I, I I I just hate to see uh, the fellow that the white that won the British Open. I I just hate to see him and he's. He's already said he's going to go to LIV, but you hate to see something like that. He was really a dominant force, young dominant force coming up on the PGA Tour. Well, this is true, but, I mean, you know, whoever wins, you know, whatever tournament or whether it's a major or whatever, I mean, those are relevant but yet not. Um, I mean, I don't know. When you, when I look at it, I think the disturbing portion is that the um, these players jumping ship going to the LIV could potentially ruin, you know, something like the Ryder Cup moving forward, which I think is steeped with a tremendous amount of history and, and pride right. and country and, and all these sorts of things. And I certainly wouldn't want that, you know, to take a back seat to, you know, you look at guys that, that could have potentially, you know, Dustin Johnson, Patrick Reed, I mean, whoever. I mean, and are they automatically eliminated for going to LIV? I think they are. Um, I can always stand to be corrected. I but assume I they were because the, 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 the captain of the, you know, who says he waited a lifetime to get this opportunity and he lasted right. a month. So I'm assuming that they're all, every one of them are disqualified right. by joining the LIV. I mean, so, you know, that certainly may, may change some of the rosters on either side that may have an effect on the event itself. And, you know, I, for one, am a big fan of the Ryder Cup. I love, you know, watching that in terms of the battles that, that take place, particularly in the singles matches, which I've seen. Gosh, I forget what year that was, but the... the Hold it right the there, Doug, because we're out of time. Uh, Once again, thank you very much. Back. Thank you to all our guests, especially of Dick Vermeil going into the Hall of Fame, spending time with us. Gary Cobb spending so much time with us tonight on the program, and Really a great pleasure to do this uh, couple of hours with Frank. Good job at the controls, Frank, and we'll get together again next week. Roger, take care. Okay, have a great week. God bless. Take care, Frank. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this program is brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation of the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, men and women of police and fire services. <clears throat> when you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please yeah, give them a chance to say hello to them, shake their hand. Thank him for their service. Not everybody out there wearing a uniform is bad. There's an awful lot of good people out there. These programs are dedicated to those who lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Colgax, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, 
Sergeant Thomas Bainger, <clears throat> San Diego officer Mike Henry, uh, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Tar- Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Chris Levick, Philadelphia County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Alfred Crispin, Lakeland PD, Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police, Deputy Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Department, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Captain Le- Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Arthur Hope, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department, Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol, Chief Al Hogan, Longwood Key Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. My brothers and sisters, though, you may be 10-7 at this point in time, and sometime we'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the palm of his hands. Good night. God bless. Have a great week.
1999. County dispatched in 1999. County dispatched in 1999. All units be advised, 1999 is responded to his last emergency, and God rest his soul. Thank you.